Lucky you. 36 you pistols and golf. Alternate Shots Podcast. Barney's Army. Where we talk about Sandy. golf. Poker. James Bond. Horse racing. Double. Classic movies. Zenyatta. We have no script. Down the stretch they come. We are glad you joined us. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> hey, Alternate Shot fans, we have a winner. We don't know who the winner in the Ryder Cup's yet going to be because it's a couple days before that. But we have a winner special guest, our favorite, Lefty Gomez from right field, coming in to save the day and tell us all. Billy Regan, who do we have today? Billy Harmon, the one and only Billy Harmon, who has put us on the map. Certainly my favorite guest so far. No offense to all you other people if you're listening. But no one tells a story better than Billy, and he's loaded with information. And we're here to discuss the Ryder Cup with a guy who knows something about it. Well, you know, I caddied in the uh, 1983 Ryder Cup um, at Palm Beach Gardens. And Lanny Watkins stiffed a wedge on the last hole for the Americans to win, I believe, by a point or a half point. And everybody, you know, couldn't believe that it was that close. Uh, what we didn't know at the time is that the European team was to have five Hall of Fame players, Seve, Longer, uh, Sandy Lyle, Ian Woosnam, and Nick Faldo. But other than Seve, the other four weren't really well known at that time. So everyone thought it was uh, hard to believe it was that close. But looking back on it, that was probably the beginning of uh, the Europeans starting to punch the bully in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised Longer didn't make the team this year. You know what? I I would I would have seriously considered him. I yeah. really would. I really would. He hits a ball pretty straight. And I think if you veer off this rough, we're going to hear more about that. But you scared me a little bit. I heard that, you know, we're caddies, some of us, you and I at least. I don't know if Billy Regan. Did you ever caddy, Billy? I drive a cart. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> so you, you don't have to caddy. He <laughs> never caddied. So he does that. I caddied maybe six rounds in my life. <laughs> But when you're a caddy, Billy, what's the worst word you ever want to hear? You got stiffed. And you said, Lanny Watkins stiffed. I thought you meant he stiffed his caddy. <laughs> no, he never stiffed. No, Lanny, one thing about Lanny, he liked paying. So he yeah. was, uh, we used to refer to him as a slot machine if you got his bag, that's for sure. Lanny I tell you one thing you don't want to hear if you're from, from your partner is what he, when he asked his caddy to bring both putters. Oh, yeah, there you go. You better bring both putters. You know, Bob Goby used to tell a funny story. Um, you know, we look now at the Ryder Cup, how all the players have to play with their best friend, you know, and all this little chummy crap, which means <laughs> nothing because they don't get to pick who they play with every week and they play okay. Right. I can't stand that angle. Well, we want to put guys that are comfortable with each other, you know. And so Bob played his first match, I believe it was at Eastlake, and he was paired with a fiery old Texan named Billy Maxwell. And it was alternate shot. And Maxwell hit a beautiful drive. And Bob said he fanned a six iron to the right of the green. And then Maxwell played this beautiful, delicate pitch shot down about two and a half feet. And Bob said he had this little downhill left to righter. And he said he dogged it low. And Billy Maxwell turned to the gallery and said, well, I guess I got to chip it closer for this choking son of a bitch. <laughs> now, can you imagine what would happen today if a player said that, you know, the, the player would go running and hiding in his private jet, you know, 
And Bob said, you know what? He was right. I was choking. And we ended up winning the match because he told it the way it was. But uh, I'm sick of these pairings problems of having to play with their best friend and all that stuff. They don't get to choose that in all the uh, tournaments the last two years that they got these points, you know, to be in the Ryder Cup team. So uh, having been in some of the team rooms, I, it makes me want to vomit listening to that. Yeah, that and uh, when they do get a partner and they got a 10 footer, you got four people reading a putt. As uh, one of the guys said, I was listening to today, uh, Trevor Immelman said, it's a little over teaming. He says, what's your name over there? And you're telling me which this is going. I mean, yeah. seriously, have you ever put, have you ever seen a bad putter on the PGA tour or the DP world tour or anybody that's playing, they're not really, there's some better than others, but have you ever seen a real rotten putter? The only couple that come to mind, one is Lucas Glover before he went to the yeah. uh, broomstick. And I'll tell you another guy who was a wonderful ball striker, had a real nice career, never won a major, was a terrible looking putter, was J.C. Sneed. He just looked like he couldn't putt. Uh, but other than that, you know, it's hard to make a living on the PJ Tour and being a terrible putter. Obviously, there are some better than others. But I also think it's a mistake when you've played two years with you and your caddy, and now all of a sudden you're going to ask another player to read this putt for you. And he's really not sure of how you like to hit putts, whether you like to die him in the hole or hit him firm. Uh, I always thought when I caddied in the event that it was overkill. It was kind of like that expression – uh, a camel is a horse designed by committee. That's it. Uh, like my brother Butch said recently, I said, what is it with these putting coaches? And Butch said, I don't know. Whatever happened to the right edge and hit it the right speed? When did that go out of fashion, you know? <laughs> well, they've got aiming points and plumb bobbing and straddling. and That straddling drives me nuts watching it. Yeah, especially if you're standing in someone else's line, I guess, uh, you know, they must yeah, take that. And they they jump right, right in there when your putt is moving towards the hole. They don't even let you watch your yeah. own stroke. You know, they're in there dancing and stuff. I can't stand it watching it. I'm not saying there's too many good players that use it to say that it doesn't have merit. I'm not knocking the eight point system at all. I just hate the way it looks, to be honest with you. I, I wouldn't want to be near JC Sneed with a one iron if I straddled his line. There'd be a lot of guys you wouldn't want to be close to back in that era. You would have got your head knocked off, but uh, nowadays you can't hurt their feelings, you know. Well, well they come with flying them. around in those jets from tournament to tournament, so you got to you got to be careful what you say to them. We never asked you this, Billy Harmon. Are you a good reader of a? Are you good putt reader? I'd say I'm all right. Yeah, I would probably say that I was above average. Um, but what I did is I always just said, "This is if I were putting it, this is where I would play it." And so I think uh, I was lucky. Jay Haas was the type of guy that he was always going to make the final decision. And if you did read one poorly, uh, you know, it wasn't like he gave you that look. Sometimes the player gives you that look. I'll tell you a very funny story. It was in the President's Cup. I can't name the player, but uh, he and the caddy had been together a long time. It was in Australia. I was caddying for Bill Haas at Royal Melbourne. Whatever year it was, he won the FedEx, maybe 10 or 11. One of the true nice guys on tour also. And you'd be surprised how the true nice guys on tour are usually some of the hardest guys to caddy for you because they go nuts when they go on the course. But anyway, 
<laughs> he said that this guy was berating him like you couldn't believe. They've been together for 20 years. I don't know why I listened to you. You haven't given me a right club. You've misread every putt. He's just blowing this guy out. And he says, we're walking to this par three and my tail's between my legs. And here's a guy I worked for for 20 years. I'm in a foreign country and he's telling me I'm the worst caddy in the world. And I'm down in my confidence and to par three and I give him the yardage. It's 160, the pin's on 23, it's 183. And the player turns to me and says, okay, what do you like? So he, <laughs> he blew him out for seven straight holes. <laughs> and on the eighth tee, he was right back there. What do you like on this one? So the caddy player relationship is uh, really very interesting in many ways. And you have to, um, uh, for the most part, not take it personally. They're under a lot of duress. You're the only person they have to vent with. Uh, if you're on every tee like I was for maybe three or 400 events, I saw just about every caddy uh, get chewed out at some point in time. And, and uh, the good caddies realize it's just part of the job and not to really take it personally. They're just ranting and raving like tortured golf lunatics, which most of us are. I'm sure they have things to say to their fellow caddies in private later uh, about the life out there. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> we had some wonderful conversations <laughs> yeah. about our, our, our players and and what we heard from other caddies and players and stuff. So, no, it was a uh, it's a hell of a fun job, to be honest with you, to be inside the ropes, even when the heat is being turned in your direction. It's all part of the job. It's really not that big a deal. If if uh, Michael Greller had to step aside for a year and Jordan, Jordan Spieth said, Billy, I need you to caddy for me for a year, what would that be like? Well, I would do it. Uh, I'd love to do it, actually. Uh, great respect for Jordan. Um, you know, when I, uh, I was a gopher on uh, Jay Haas's uh, President's Cup team in South Korea in 2015, so I was in every team room, every dinner, every lunch, the whole thing. I was, you know, quote unquote, part of the team. And uh, I like to sit in the background and observe people. I didn't really know a lot of the players. I didn't know a lot of the caddies. I really wasn't there to make friends with them or enemies. I was there because I wanted Jay and Jan Haas to, and uh, the United States to win the President's Cup. I wasn't there to be chums with everybody. But I, I loved sitting back and watching and I remember there, out of the 12 guys, there were two people that I felt still had like a childlike innocence love for the game of golf. All of the other guys liked it, don't get me wrong, but these guys, two guys seemed to just exude, I just love this. And one of them was Jordan Spieth and the other one was Phil Mickelson. And so, um, you know, Jordan does talk a lot and goes on and on. And I can see where that can be irritating. And sometimes it's irritating for me to watch it on TV. But when I realize how much he loves the game and how much he cares and what a good person he is, uh, it, it just doesn't seem to bother me much because I, I know uh, he, he's a, and I don't really know him, but everything I've heard from him, he's just a wonderful guy. Yeah. yeah, I kind of enjoy listening to him chatter, you know, thinking things out out loud, basically. Yeah. And then he gets some of those amazing recovery shots. That Well, it, it's a it, lot better it, than watching the uh, dial tones on the LPGA Tour, that's for sure. <laughs> Golly, that's got, they got to be the most boring players I've ever seen in my life. And, which is really odd about it is you can't believe how good they are. 
They are so good. good, you can't believe it. But there's no heroes and villains. And it's like, uh, you know, shot is just a shot is just a shot. You know, it's like they're playing golf in the Enchanted Forest or something. Yeah. And every now and then you'd like to see somebody have the fire of Julie Inkster or Alfredson or Suzanne Pedersen or uh, Dottie Pepper, you know, oh. slam a club in the bag, you yeah. know, show okay. some emotion. They have girls that make putts to win the tournament. They didn't even know that it was a putt to win the tournament until somebody, you know, 25 of her girlfriends run out on the green with the water before they get to shake the opponent's hands, you know, and pour it right. all over Pour it all over them. Or it's just, I don't get it because they're, they're, they're such good players. And the product really has very little interest, to be honest with you, because the players aren't interesting. I think the Solheim Cup showed some of that. I, I, they were missing the fire that I, like you say, if they had it out there all the time, they might have had it over this last weekend against the Europeans. Well, the only two girls that showed it kind of at the end were Headwall and Suganda because they were making birdies. But you yeah. could see they had the emotion. But you saw almost none of it from uh, the American yeah. players. I don't get it. I, it's like you're, uh, why would you turn pro if you didn't want to show emotion? Just play on every Curtis Cup team for the next 50 years, you know? Yeah. And and the uh, there was an opportunity there. I mean, look. Everybody's in the spotlight. You got to take your questions, and uh, they—I guess it was Michelli, the uh, reporter—asked uh, Lexi Thompson about that chip shot. But yeah. the thing about Lexi Thompson, back on Lexi Thompson, you know, regardless of her prior um, events, she had an opportunity to be um, um, sympathetic to all of us. Hey, we've all shanked it. <laughs> I shanked it ten times last month. And I, I was done for the round. But talk about that. Why why avoid the question? She actually answered it anyway. Well, you know, you can go back to uh, Seve for putting at Augusta. I miss, I miss, I miss. In I miss. the world press, I miss, I miss, I miss, I make. She could have <laughs> easily made light of it. She yeah. could have some personality. <laughs> could have said shanks for the memory or shank you for yeah. that question. You know, and 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 then to have Stacy Lewis to say whatever she said, it was an inappropriate question or whatever. Uh, I think it was couldn't have been handled any worse. And maybe be self-deprecating and laugh about it. You know, and that's uh, a shank. But it happens. The best players in the world, you know, hit bad shots. And so I, I don't know. I don't under, I don't understand that mentality. Uh, I think she had a chance to endear herself to a lot of fans. And then all she did was, I think, push them away. I'll, I'll give a little plug. We just had the pleasure of speaking with Eric Cole this morning. He's going to be an episode. Great. What a nice young man. And I would say, Billy Regan, you tell me if I'm wrong, that were that to happen to him, because, you know, he had that chance to win the Honda in February and he hit a perfect shot on the first extra hole with a five wood that he says he hits 240 back to your point. We used a little bit of your story with Jay Haas there, if you're okay with that, <laughs> on the 15th hole. You'll like it. But, you know, I think he would have taken the opportunity to say, hey, I hit the pitch out. You know, it happens. I was trying to nip it. I didn't have a great line. Yeah. I needed to get it there and go through that and say, you know, I know that's something that everybody who's listening to has done before, but I didn't expect that to happen. And he might've, as he says, as he's getting better, 
So does the, you know, interviews and the tough questions. And he said, yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. But, you know, I don't listen to that. I just try to be the best player I can as I get better. I expect more articles in this and that. Sometimes you can look at, you know, the Lexi Thompson thing as an opportunity to engage the fans and 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 make fun of it. You know, hey, I you, you saw it. I don't, I don't have to announce what happened. And, you know, she could have said, shank you for the question or shanks for the memories or, you know, I don't know what happened. I choked or, you know, just be human about it. I'll, but give, I'll, be, giving, I'll be giving tips after the round. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on Marco Simone, one of the things that I've kind of learned that I guess I didn't know, and you probably know very well, like breathing, the DP or the European tour owns that. Uh, Ryder Cup, whereas here the PGA Tour doesn't own it. It's the PGA of America. And with that, everything they do is in tandem. So like they had a, I guess they had Italian Open at Marco Simone. That's right. Yeah. So it was a great opportunity for all the candidates for the 2023 Ryder Cup team to show off. And, and oddly enough, they didn't pick the guy that won. Wrong didn't make it. Yeah. Very interesting that they didn't pick him. Would you have picked him? I think so, but I think I would have also picked. Is it Aberg? Is that how you say the last name? Ludwig Aberg. Yeah, He's... I've talked to a couple caddies on tour that uh, raved. He's only played in a handful of tour events. Raved about how good he was. I'm not talking. I'm talking about guys that have been out there 40, 50 years. And so, uh, given that, uh, but the other guy could have easily been picked just on merit alone, whether he won that tournament on that course or not. So it was kind of interesting that, but you know, these captain picks, we all like to uh, pick at him before the event, but the only way you can really judge him is after the event. All right. You know, what if Justin Thomas goes five and oh, it'll be the greatest pick in the history of mankind, right? Absolutely. And, and, and if, if and, he goes and one and four, then it's not a good pick, you know, but we don't know how they're going to play. Uh, you guys have played enough golf. We're talking about 24 players that are probably no more than one stroke different per round apart. So there are no upsets. There are no upsets in these match play events when you get players that good. So if we're playing a wing foot and somebody's a one and another guy's a two, it's not an upset if the two beats the one. It's just enough. The guy's a nine. And he beats them straight up like Bobby Christie did to me in the junior club championship <laughs> and the club championship. I'm going to get Bobby in there. Hopefully he'll be listening to this. Then that, that was an upset by the way. And, and the fact of the matter is unlike Lexi Thompson, I've got to eat crow for the last 50 years. I'm 0 two against Bobby Christie. And the club championship. And I'm telling you, I still don't like it. Well, you lost the two times where there was no money on the line. You lost to him when there was no money on the line. The other 900 times you beat him, I'm sure you got some whip out out of him. Well, it, it doesn't make any difference. He's still 2-0 and against me in Wingfoot uh, major events. And uh, he loves to remind me of it, and he should remind me of it. He should probably remind me of it actually more than he does. I'll give him that, but... Uh, well, he's busy calling Lexi Club Championship. I shot 72 qualifying. He shot 88. <laughs> and in the finals, he beat me. All right. Enough of Bobby Christie. So yeah. here are 24 players. All right. And this is mm -hmm. this your point about there's one shot difference. So everybody's talking about 
you know, it's like the last kid you pick you pick on in a pickup game, right? You mm-hmm. have to take him because it's five on five. That's who, me. Who is the bottom? Who's the bottom of these 24? And I don't care what mm-hmm. team. If you said these are the four, say, if you can say the words vulnerable, like in heads up or in a foursome, is there, do you think it be those four at the bottom of these 24? Well, that's interesting because, um, you know, you have to look at what Justin Thomas is going to do because for him, he's played so poorly this year. Having said that, these guys are so good. You know, it's been a, what, four or five weeks or six weeks since he's played. So who's to say he, he played good, I believe, in Napa, maybe. Yep. When you're that good, my brother, late brother Dick used to say, these guys are one swing thought away from shooting 64. So the fact that he got picked and he wasn't in good form does not mean he's not going to be in good form this week. So I think, to me, he's one of the guys that uh, are interesting um <clears throat> Shane Lowry who I think is a wonderful player you know hasn't played as well uh this year as he normally does and and Jordan Spieth probably hasn't played quite as well as he has but you know he had 18 months of maybe the greatest putting ever there when he was winning everything uh but I would say those three to me are the ones that I'm looking at I I actually think the the rookies and the younger players on the on the European tour are going to play well I really do they don't know it's hard. Yeah, see, I think this thing that they were wrong over the years picking the veterans in the captain's picks because they had uh, they had damage, and the young guys don't. And so I think that's uh, in retrospect that's a little bit of a mistake. Sometimes ignorance is bliss in golf, you know. So uh, I'm not too sure that's the best way to go because you already you're already going to have a, a a bunch of guys that have been there and can mentor them you know, and babysit them a little bit and stuff. And uh, so if I were a captain, I think I would, uh, I'm not going to say I would disregard the veteran status, but it wouldn't, I don't think it'd be a game changer for me. All right. So let's go. It it wasn't for the Europeans because they took Ludwig and he certainly doesn't have the experience. Well, I learned that wasn't the last pick. I learned that Nikolai was the 12th pick, but he's a good player too. Hogard. All good. Yeah, so let's take this right side, the European squad. How would you, Captain Harmon, put these guys together? And does it matter if it's four ball and foursomes? I so, sort of rhetorical question. Of course, it matters, but how would you do it? And and keep in mind, you don't care if they cry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, when I was at the Presidents' Cup in South Korea, and Jay was the captain. You know, when he made the practice round pairings, he wanted the vice captains, they had a vice captain in each group to kind of yeah, monitor how they got along, you know, and this and that. And and the one guy that created the most um, chatter was Phil, uh, because Phil likes to run the show. So... Uh, Legend has it that Dustin Johnson didn't like playing with Phil because Phil would be too technical in putts. Now, they played practice rounds together all the time, so they were good friends, liked each other, but uh, DJ didn't like all the information that uh, Phil would give him. And in that particular event in 2015, Chris Kirk was on the team. And 
so they paired uh, Phil and Chris together in the practice round. And we were on the ninth fairway. Fred, my job during the tournament was to drive Fred Couples around. It was really a hard job. And, and Phil came over to us in the ninth fairway and says, I don't think we're going to be a good pairing. I don't think Chris likes my all my information. And then shortly after that, Chris came over to us and said, uh, don't pair me with Phil. He just, he's too technical about stuff. I like doing my own thing. So I thought that was good. That was a good way to do it. They were both honest about it. Um, <clears throat> I think what's interesting to me is they get all wrapped up in the alternate shot and the kind of golf ball they're using. You know, one guy's got Callaway, the other one's got Tylus, and one of them doesn't spin as much in the wind and it does this and that, and they get all wrapped up in that, you know. I think that's funny. I remember one time at the uh, President's Cup in South Africa, two players were rookies on the team. They'll remain nameless. We played a practice round with them, and for 18 holes, they talked about this ball thing. It was unbelievable. It was driving Jay and I nuts. And Jay could care less, to be honest with you. Just, I'm going to go play with whoever they put me, and I'm going to try to win more holes than the other team. And these guys went on and on for four hours about this one spins. You know, I want to drive with this one. I want to hit the short iron with that. So they got paired together in the first round. I think they lost five and four with all this information, you know. So um, I think too much is made of a lot of these pairings. I know that, um, you know, the bottom line, if you don't putt good, it doesn't make any difference who you're paired with. The team that putts the best wins these things. The team that has the eight-footer that they need to make, and they make it more often than the other team, will usually be the team that wins. So I don't know if playing with your best friend is going to make you make an eight-footer or not. Or uh, I actually think sometimes if you didn't like the guy, you might have a better chance of making it because you didn't want him to ever say something bad about you. So I, I'm a little tuned out on all this personality stuff, to be honest with you. I think I'd love to see a captain say, I'm going to pair you the way I want to. And if it doesn't work out, I'll take the heat. How's that sound? <laughs> It'll all be on me. So you boys just go play. Could it be a pairing of Brooks Kepka and Brian Harmon? And I'm 16 tall. How are we doing, partner? Oh, we just won three and two. Could they? Right. Well, some guys are minimalist, right? Well, Brian Harmon is a feisty guy. So if I was on that team, I'd want him on my, I'd want to play with him. Me too. I think he's going to shine. I, I would want a guy like that. I, I like those guys that kind of spit in their glove and just get it done and might not look that pretty, but they're, they compete, you know, and I think every team in sports, every great team in sports has grinders. You know, all we hear about is the superstars, but you need grinders guys that day in and day out, get their uniform dirty and, but we always hear about the guy hitting the three-run homer in the ninth to win, but it could be three defensive plays that an unknown made before that to keep them in the game. So I'm usually more interested in the guys in these team events that we're not talking about and, and seem to surprise people at the end. Speaking of surprises, next week, who are they going to talk about as the surprise of this Ryder Cup for the European team? And then how about the surprise for the American team? What do you think? Well, I think maybe uh, Brian Harmon and uh, Auberg, you know, just from what I've heard from my scouts. Uh, I, I think those two, um, and I'll be very interested to see how Kepka. Kepka plays, you know, uh, Kepka, 
on the surface appears to be a guy that's hard to like. But you never heard one American player say a bad word about him, and nor did he ever say a bad word about the American players, you know, through the whole live thing. And he can certainly play. Oh, yeah. And he's a, he's a primetime guy, you know, and uh, uh, he's really good. So um, he actually seems I'm, to I'm improve. very interested, not that this would be, I, I'm, I'm very intrigued with this Victor Hovland. He, he's a wonderful player, you know, and he seems to be born with a smile on his face. Yes. Actual smile on his face. And so I really, he seems to have a, a childlike innocence about learning how to be a great player. And so I really like watching him. He's one of my, I don't know him. I've never met him, but he's really one of my favorite players in professional golf today. I love the way he carries himself and he has a, uh, his own kind of unique swing, which I like also. And he dresses in a u- unique way, but he'll have to, he'll have to live with what they give him this week. Well, that's how I think that's how he dresses anyway. I think uh, Nike and what's a Hugo Boss, maybe they send these outfits to him and tell him when to wear them. Yeah, uh, right. They do actually. So he 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 has some very interesting outfits, and he 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 must have thick skin because he acts like he doesn't really care about it. So. <laughs> Don Scott at Wingfoot used to say, "I wear every color. That that, that way it, it all goes together." No, so- no, I remember him. Oh yeah, he had the gold he, shoes and the gold pants and the gold. And Trump played all the time, and they would bet thousands of dollars of getting it up and in on bunker shots. Now, uh, what what I, I was going to say here is, uh, there's a you're right. The putting matters so much. Who's 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 the outstanding putter on these twenty four? There's so many good putters here. Well, when you look at um, as a great player goes, and Rory McIlroy is a great player. He's not a great putter. Obviously, he has streaks. But I've, I've never heard of a player his age. I think he's had six or seven putting coaches already in his career. And that's a lot, I would say. Uh, so I'm always interested to see how guys that putt with doubt handle pressure. Uh, Jordan's putting has, you know, dropped off, but in, in reality for 18 months, it was maybe the greatest putting we'd ever seen. So maybe he spoiled us there. Maybe he's just a good putter now, not a phenomenal putter. Uh, I'm also interested in, in Justin Thomas, because one thing about golf, uh, Sevy told me one time that when a, a uh, great player loses his nerve, he becomes ordinary. And not every great player that loses his nerve gets it back. Now, I would assume Justin uh, will. I, I think he will. But we don't know that yet. So what if he fails miserably? You know, as the captain's pick, he's got a lot of pressure on him. So those are the guys I'm kind of looking at. Uh, uh, and Ricky Fowler. Obviously, Butch teaches him, and, and he's rejuvenated uh, Ricky's career, and Butch teaches uh, Tommy Fleetwood. So I'm kind of, you know, from a Harmon standpoint, selfishly, I'm rooting for uh, uh, Butch's players. And my nephew teaches uh, Kepka. So uh, I always have a rooting interest there just because of my last name. Well, I think Brian Harmon's going to be pretty good with the putter. There you go. <laughs> yeah. He spells it differently, but I'll take it. 
<laughs> My sister wanted Sam to Barnes know. is a little bit of an unknown, too, because he didn't play well in the President's Cup at Quail Hollow. And he was a little bit of a, uh, you know, he, he hadn't, he wasn't on form for a while. But I don't know if you can really make a bad pick. I mean, these guys are so good, you know, and, and if they're on that week, they'll win some points. And if they're not, you know, we'll say they're bad picks. But I don't think you can judge the picks until the tournament's over. Uh, on Saturday, whenever they set up for the singles, is that truly random? And yeah, you know, Luke doesn't know what Zach's going to do. There's no, no. like saluting. Yeah. In fact, I think the President's Cup uh, has a much better format than the Ryder Cup. For one, they start on Thursday. These guys aren't used to starting on Friday. Yeah. And they're not used to getting to tournaments on Monday, by the way. Most of them are there Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon. So you're adding about two days to their their routine, which they're not used to. Um, the President's Cup, I think, has six more points on the to be had. But they play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, and they're, they're allowed to pick. The defending champion will pick first. Let's say they put up uh, Kepka and Homa. Then Luke Donald would be able to match somebody up against them. And then the European team would pick next. And then the Americans would be able to mix and match. That's what happens in the President's Cup. I think the President's Cup. Um, format is far superior to the Ryder Cup, but you'd have to be a forward thinker to <laughs> change it. And uh, and I guarantee the players would rather be playing on Thursday than Friday. I'll guarantee that they're ready to go right now. They're so tired of all at the, the at the expense of playing four days. Have have a tournament Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, they, they only play thirty six, I believe, one day in the Presidents Cup. Right. They have five matches a day instead of four. And they play 36, I believe, on Saturday. So you, you see more players playing for more days, a few more points on the line. And, and I think it's a better format. I really do. I bet you if, look, if you looked at the ratings, you'd find out that the public would like as much of it as they can get. Because I think it you, might be. You would think something. so. You would, you would think they'd want it to start on. I, I'm, I was watching some of it last night. I'm already sick of the buildup, you know. Yeah. Who's the pairings? What ball was everybody playing? You know, and you know, I'm I'm a little jaded by about I I'm I kind of like the Billy Maxwell Bob Goldie stuff, you know. All right, two quick questions. Who's gonna win? The Europeans. Yeah. I think you get plus one thirty-five, maybe more now on the Europeans to win, which I find well, very. Well, you know what? You know what, Willie? I have looked at that. <laughs> 10 to 1 for a tie because um your friend Doug Frazier, Billy Regan, he bet on the tie in the soul in the last minute. He bet on a tie and he got the Solheim Cup. Yeah, he bet 200 bucks on the tie, which gives you 10 to 1. So he made two grand. This that is, is a great down in Atlantic City. How about that? That is a great that's Leo's son, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, yes, yeah. sir. Yeah. Hey, Billy Harmon, it just the thought occurred to Billy Regan and me. Does the captain matter in this whole Ryder Cup, this whole team competition? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, no. Uh, he only matters if the team putts good. Um, I go back to a story in the uh, President's Cup, South Africa, the one that ended in a tie. Uh, I believe going to Saturday... Uh, the Americans were up by a couple points. Uh, Jim Furyk and Jay Haas were playing Ernie Els and Tim Clark. And uh, 
I was getting my pen sheet and stuff, and Jack was giving these guys a pep talk, the greatest part that ever lived. And he wasn't blowing smoke. He was uh, basically stating that, you know, if we win this session, we're going to go into Sunday with a big, big lead. And that this session will be very important. And I was thinking to myself, boy, this is unbelievable. You got the greatest player that's ever lived, you know, pumping these guys up. And he's going to pump up the other guys, the other four teams. And we went 0-5. First time ever, I think, ever that five matches were lost in one day in the President's Cup. And so was Jack's speech incorrect? <laughs> was his energy incorrect? No, what happened was is the, the internationals played better than we did in all five matches. Or maybe and, they tapped him a better speech. Well, and I, I heard from a couple players uh, told me that Chevy was the worst captain they ever played for and that there was mutiny in the team rooms. And one of the players said, there's no doubt in my mind that Tom Kite was more prepared 100 times over than Seve was. But because we won, Seve was the genius and Tom Kite was the dog. And so you can only put the players out there. You can't play for them. Uh, you know, if you looked at the Notre Dame game the other day, the oh. last two defensive plays, they had 10 players on the field. In your lifetime, can you ever remember that happening in a game like that? So that would be the coach's fault. But uh, Nicholas didn't send out nine players when he needed to have 10 players. So I, I think the captain can create a nice environment for the week. He can create a, a wonderful experience for the players and the wives and the caddies. But at the end of the day, the players have to play. And so I think the captains get way too much uh, criticism when the when they lose uh, one of these team events, and they get way too much uh, uh, congratulatory stuff when one of the team wins. It's all about the players, in my opinion. It's the financial. It'd be worse in, uh, in the where the owner was given the uh, speech after they lost. You know, losing is a disease, <laughs> and Robert Redford finally walks out on him. Thank God. I got to believe a lot of these players, you know, maybe they need a little incentive now and then, but it, it's sort of, it's right in front of them what they need to do. Well, and you're, you're not going to be on one of these teams unless you don't know how to compete. How can you be the best 12 players in America? We're not talking about the 12 best players in the Met area. We're right. talking about the United States. So these are 12 very, very gifted, special competitors. You have, not only do you have to be good, you have to be a competitor. Uh, but, you know, what if the putter feels bad in your hands the day of the singles? You know, what if it's just not there? Your touch isn't there. Uh, what if you're driving it good that day, you know? So uh, there's so many variables. Plus, you can play good in match play and lose, and you can play poorly and win. So the, the match play aspect of it, which I love, by the way, brings in all kinds of uh, variables. So you just gave me another thought. Now the coach doesn't matter. Does the venue, the, the golf course matter? I think it does actually. Yeah, you, you guys hit on it that the, uh, the DP tour has already played a tournament at this course. When they won in France, that was a tour, a course that they played uh, tour events on. Uh, we generally go to courses maybe where they played a major on once every 20 years. So if they had the uh, Ryder Cup, let's say, at Wingfoot in 2030, 
maybe nobody that played in 2020 would have played in played in that open would be on the 2030 team. So the fact that we go to major venues, it appears more than the, uh, the Europeans do, you know, cause they always played at the Belfry and they had a tournament at the Belfry all the time. So uh, I think in some cases they've outfoxed the Americans on some things right under their noses. I think knowing the course, you know, course knowledge is huge. I would think. Absolutely. And they get to set it up any way they want. Uh, so in France, the word on the street was they knew the Americans were bad drivers, you know, crooked drivers. So they, they set it up tight with heavy rough, which it sounds like they've done in uh, Italy. So, uh, no, the, you, you should be allowed whatever tour, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever country is hosting, that should you should be able to create a home course advantage. So I'm all for that. It's in boxing. There's, you know, some guys like the the ropes loose, and some guys like them tight. There's always an argument about how to set that up, and what ounce gloves, and all the rest of it. Sure. So. And but Mike Tyson says all the game plans go out the window when that first left hook hits you in the first round. You know, so you get why everything goes out when he hits you. You'd be surprised how many guys don't want to hit the first shot on the tee on alternate shot, which is shocking to me because every round of golf they've ever played in their life, they're hitting the tee shot on the first hole. Right. So why why would you make it that much different? So why they they've just played for two years. Let's say they've played in 50 tournaments. So 50 times four is 200 opening holes. So 200 straight times they've hit a tee shot on the first hole and they don't want to be the guy hitting the tee shot on the first hole, the alternate shot. It's fascinating. In the, in the 1969 World Series, the uh, I think it was the, the was it Casey Stangle, but the Mets manager said that um, when there were two outs in the last inning of the series and the Mets just need the third out to win, everybody on the team was thinking, don't hit it to me. Oh, yeah. But their second thought was, don't hit it to Swoboda. That's right. <laughs> and he made a couple unbelievable plays against the Orioles. Yes, um, he did. But yes, Casey's he did, just diving in the, and the ball found his glove, you know, yeah. magically. It was a miracle Mets, and that was part of it. Because Stegel once said about him, you know, we gave him a surprise birthday party, but he dropped the cake, so. <laughs> That's funny. You know, Billy, you mentioned this, uh, or we talked a little bit about Ludwig Aberg, and I think I just think we may be, this is just my wild theory. We may be witnessing the next Arnold Palmer in that if he has an outstanding Ryder Cup, he's a pro for about 100 days by our recollection because he went yep. pro in June. Okay, he came through the college ranks, which is a great way to come on the tour, however that happened. Uh, I've heard a lot of things. Um, a friend of mine knows... Uh, his golf coach at Texas tech and told him four years ago to watch out for this guy. But do you think that's possible in this day and age? Because you look at these homas attractive on social media, but is he going to be the next best golfer on the planet? Yeah, but home is probably already 30 now. You yeah. Know, Max, Max uh, I think shot 61 at LA country club in the PAC 12 championships. And he came out with a lot of fanfare and he fell off the map. And to his credit, he's come back after he lost his nerve. So he, he's a tremendous success story to me. But he's much older than this young man. So 
this could be a coming out party for him. Uh, it's funny, I was looking at his swing on YouTube this morning. Very simple, uh, very powerful. He too has kind of a nice fun look about him. It looks like he enjoys what he's doing. And and so uh, I, I'm, I'm in favor of giving the younger players, some of the younger players a chance, especially now that we have this socialistic system of they get six picks, which I think is also a joke. Yeah, I agree with I, that. I would like to see him just take the 12, the top 12 and run with it, you know. Yeah. I really would. Everyone's had a chance for, you know, they all teed it up with no points two years ago. This I, I don't mind like well. two captain's picks, but I don't mind two, but six I think is too many. I agree. Yeah, it's harder too. Some people sat on the captains, but uh yeah, I just I just I I, I like I've turned around. I thought these guys back in March and April and May, they're talking about Ludwig, and I'm like, who's Ludwig? And I learned a little about him. And then, you know, he came out. When I say these guys, these younger guys that have the YouTube channels sure. with, with thousands of subscribers, and they have a lot of people listening to him. And then I listened to my son and a generation younger. And, and the guy, that swing is beautiful. It is very simple, very powerful. Um, like I said, I've talked to a couple real old time caddies on the PGA Tour that are going to make a run at his bag, by the yeah. way. He doesn't have a have good bag yet. Pardon me? Doesn't have a steady caddy yet? Not that I don't know that. I just know that these uh, these uh, these two caddies are kind of flying around like a little scavenger, seeing if they can make a move on this kid. So, uh, well, and I'm talking about guys that have been out there 40, 50 years. I'm not talking about some new guy out of the, you know, geez, I'd like to get a job with this kid. These guys have seen it all. All right, so you're in the running here. You got you, you know, Greller's looking for a new bag, and Joey Lacava's looking for a new bag, and you're still out there, you know, with plenty of gas in the tank. And yeah. now you want Ludwig Aberg. How would you go about doing it, Billy Harmon? Oh, I wouldn't know how to do it nowadays because I don't really know anybody. I um, I I feel like I'm an old bull that's uh, put himself out to pasture, and I'm loving it. Um, I, I don't really know enough people to. Uh, even enter into it. I'd love to do it, to be honest with you, because I think I still have a lot to offer when it comes to that kind of stuff. Do you but, want to come back next weekend for the nibs? The, the Well, I'm going to play in the member guest in October. Are um, you? Great. Yeah, yeah. So I'm bringing a member here from Toscana. And I'm going to caddy for Bill Haas uh, when the tour comes out here for the American Express Tournament. I'm going to... Uh, he's He's been out with a very serious elbow surgery now for about three months. He can just start chipping and putting. And he stays with us that week. So I thought it'd be fun to caddy for him. And if I, uh, I don't know if you saw that hike I made on uh, Facebook uh, last week in the Canadian Rockies, but I can easily go 18 holes after the hike I made. Oh, yeah. 10 miles up 3,000 feet. Wow. All right. You just opened up another question. This uh, wow. Marco Simone seems to be a tough track to walk. Does that matter when you're playing? Potentially two rounds on Friday, two rounds Saturday, and one on it, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't for the players, I would think. Um <laughs> now I think the adrenaline most of these guys work out. Yeah. You know, maybe they won't put Shane Lowry out for 36, but uh he's a great athlete. But if you look at the American team, seems like every one of them is uh, pretty trim, pretty fit. 
so no, I, I don't think it will. I think the energy is so incredible in this event that I can't imagine guys getting tired really. Well, did you not have... like baseball players who have to sit out every couple of days in these in this world? <laughs> all right, all right. So Billy, you must have chuckled when you heard that that, that this 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 maybe they had backup caddies in the Solheim Cup in your life. You would have hobbled in with Jay Haas if you had to walk it. You never would have had a backup caddy take care of you. What was that all? Well, when I caddied in Australia, uh, one day we played 36 holes. And I was 60 years old. I hadn't caddied. And it rained all day. And I was, Bill Haas played 36 holes, 35 holes, as it turned out that day. Uh, and it was a grind. And when I got back to the hotel room, I had 11 blisters on my feet. But I didn't really feel them when I was out there because uh, one match went to the 18th hole and the other one went to the 17th hole. And you're so busy with towels and everything. But I, yeah, it, it affected me because I didn't caddy much. But I never was behind. I, I got out in front. I did my job. Uh, I wouldn't have ever let somebody come take that bag in that situation. But, you know, I saw two caddies on the Solheim Cup on Sunday that weren't wearing their caddy bibs on the American tour. Now, what's that all about? Why don't you make it a little bit easier for us to root against you, you know? Yeah. I've never seen that, by the way, in a Ryder Cup or a Solheim Cup, a caddy not wearing the team bib. Now, what's that all about? I texted one of the commentators who will remain nameless, a very good lady player. I said, what's this all about? And she said, that's the least of our problems. <laughs> I know who you're talking about. Did she see it coming? The loss? Uh, or the, or the uh, tie? Well, you know, the tie was created by the great play of Saganda and Headwall. You know, yeah. they, they both played like the last five or six holes in four, five, six under. The Americans <laughs> win, so. Uh, I do think it, and one of the commentators said it, I do think it was very odd the way they were celebrating a tie on the last green. I and noticed that too. Waiting to play. Yeah. It was really in poor taste. And and he said, and I agree with him, you he know. Did. He did. He came out and said it. Yeah, a tie. You, know, one, you didn't play better than the other team. You tied them. Yeah, get off the green and let them finish. You know, basically he said it and. Very few announcers would have said it. So I got to give the guy credit. He came out and said, you know, I got a problem with this. Yeah. And he didn't sound American. I think he had a British accent. Oh, he, he's a, um, got a, it's a, he's um, a guy a million times. And his I, first name is Tom, right? And and I've seen it. Uh, but he 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 came right out. I think he's English. He came right out and said, I don't like this. This isn't this isn't good. You know, they didn't. Yeah, like I, I saw that, too. And plus the other the other players were trying to hit and you got you know hundred people on the green. Right. Is it, I thought it was Bush League, actually, but All nobody's right, so asked me a, my opinion on this stuff other than you guys. <laughs> so you talked earlier the the you you think the European team's gonna win. Why? No, I just think they got the Americans numbers these days. I don't really I don't understand it. Uh, there have been years where I thought the international team in the President's Cup was much stronger than the European Ryder Cup team and the, the Americans would wax them. Uh, I do think, though, you know, when you watch um, soccer, let's say, these guys grew up in a, a nationalistic 
competing, you know, English against Spain. You know, nobody cares if the California junior team played the Texas junior team, right? But the Europeans grow up with that that mentality of their countries play each other. And it's a big deal to be on these teams. No one would really care if South Carolina juniors played the Michigan juniors. Right. But if the Spanish juniors played the Swedish juniors, there's a... a um, the only reason I like to, the only time I ever watch soccer is in the World Cup and the Olympics because I'm blown away by how important these teams are to these nations. And so I think it just spills over to the Ryder Cup that they have a great sense of uh, national pride. Not that we don't, but I just think that they're used to uh, having sports, their nations playing against each other all the time. And now they come together for this one thing and they've, you know, 30 years ago, they hit the bully in the face and the bully hasn't uh, hit back very often. I don't think I'm ready for any more ole, 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 ole's. Well, that's going to happen. You know, that's going to yeah. happen. It happened in the Solheim Cup. Yeah. Yes, it did. They didn't invent it there. They invented it in Ryder Cup, right? But the, the P word we used with Eric Cole was persistence because he's a 34-year-old starting on the PGA Tour. He just turned 35 in June. And he became a PGA Tour pro after trying so hard. But, uh, you know, the, the pride word, that's the P word here. I think you've got it right there, the pride. I do. I think, and, and it's not that the Americans don't have it. I just think that it's more in the Europeans' blood. And um, also, I they all know each other now. Most of them play on the American tours, so it's not like they're enemies on a personal level. You know, there's a few guys maybe on the European team that, haven't played much on the, but the, all the other guys are, you know, they're buddies with a lot of these American guys. So that was never the case many years ago. They didn't hardly know each other. So that probably added a little bit of uh, interest to it, but um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it means a lot to the uh, Americans. I believe, I think it's misrepresented that they don't care. I think that's total BS, but there's something in the Euro team's blood that I don't, we just can't seem to uh, replicate it. Especially overseas, because the, the fans are very years. united. 30. Right? 30 years they haven't won overseas. Yeah. One of the great streaks of all time, I would say. Is that right? 30 years they haven't won? In, in it's been 1993. There you go. Yeah. And it'll be another three or four years if they win again, because they won't be back for four years. No, it's very interesting that that's a hard, unbelievable statistic. They haven't won in Europe in 30 years 15 straight times basically yep that's exactly what it is yeah 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 it's not a small sample it's not a small no, it's sample. not it's not it's uh it's uh it's one of those things i think it's inexplicable I, I don't really i can throw out a couple theories but i at the end of the day um there's something inside these european players that really love beating the united states parting thoughts well i love the Ryder cup uh, I love watching the Solheim Cup, too, by the way. I love the match play. Um, I love, to me, match play, especially at that level. Uh, an 18-hole match is 18 consecutive sudden-death playoff holes. Each hole is its own uh, tournament. And, and you never know when the eight-footer for par goes in and the other team misses a six-footer for birdie when you think you've got the whole one. So you see a lot of momentum changes. Um, I think that uh, 
I'm really interested to see Italy, how it, how it plays out in Italy. Probably my favorite country. And uh, I, I love watching it. So, and, and it's beautiful to see where I live in California. It'll be in, on in the middle of the night, probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'll be watching it for sure. <laughs> you know, Bob, still looking at that, uh, that wing foot behind you. Boy, it still looks good to me. And you got the, you got the famous tree there, Willie? Behind yeah, that's you? one of those. Uh, Osage, I think that's the Osage tree on 16, is it? On uh, 17? It's beautiful. The Osage orange tree. Yeah, uh -huh. it 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 really is uh and we're coming into the, we're coming into the season where the I can't stop taking photos in the fall at Wingfoot. The colors are magnificent, the topography is magnificent, the place is just magnificent. Well it be uh I think the the uh member guest starts like on the eleventh or twelfth. Will the trees be beautiful then? Yeah, be beautiful. It'd be great. It'll be the exact condition if they had the open in June, the second week of June. Yeah. It'll be the exact hard and fast condition because the aeration is now six weeks under well underway. Wow. There'll be still light out because it's before daylight savings time change. And then you'll have the, the leaves. But I'm sure Steve will give us many easy pin placements. <laughs> I think what they like to do in that event, and I'm jealous, is I think they give you the uh, Sunday open pin positions on um, on the West Course. I'm well past uh, worrying about where pins are. I'm trying to find where the green is. Where, where's, where's the ball? I can make bogey on the greens usually. <laughs> I'd say something funny so we can end this. Come on. No, no, that's it. I, I don't care where the pins are. I just want to see if I can find a green every now and then because as you guys know, as you get older, Wingfoot doesn't get any shorter. No, it doesn't. So I, I, I appreciate that about it. So the, the technology lets me keep playing. As a friend of mine still said, a lot of long holes where you know the that head cover is coming off that hybrid a little bit too frequently for me, but that's the way it goes. So my friend I can't wait to get there. Greg Zarilla, who was a very good amateur, he was the 13. I remember he played in my era. Yeah, he played. Uh, he was a 13-time club champion at uh, Siwanoi. Yeah, I was playing with him there before the amateur in 2006 or whatever it was back then. And he said, uh, or it was maybe it was later, he said, Billy Wingfoot's becoming obsolete. And I, I was like, not for me, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely isn't too short for me. I know that much, boy. Yeah, it's great. Can't wait to get back, guys. Well, have a great trip. And, Thank you. Uh, enjoy the Ryder Cup, and we'll see how this uh, pans out. I think you're. I got to. I got to figure out what the odds are on a tie. About 10 to 1, I think. I, I'm at the Mohegan Sun. I'll see if I can find out and I'll text you. Okay. I, I, I know how to find out also. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. All right, guys. Thank you. I more than 10 to 1, though. Thanks I would for having me, as always. Thanks, Thanks Billy. Luis, uh, Luis Arroyo was the guy who saved Whitey Ford all those years. He was the first good closer for the Yankees. Yeah, Louis Arroyo. How about Let's... that there, Willie? How about that, me pulling that one out of the hat? It was a good one. Right, I remember, guys. you remember Fritz Bacow? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The reason I remember yeah. him so much is his, but we threw his baseball card up on my garage roof when we were kids. We were like forever trying to get it down my from there. His name was Choo Choo Coleman, but we'll, we'll Choo -choo talk Coleman. about that another time. See you guys. All right. Take episode. care. Thanks for having me. Yep. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining Casper. us today. 
Billy Harmon. We really appreciate your Double feedback. indemnity. And please Marky. subscribe to the Two show. Hour. And hit Claude the bell Harmon. icon so you get notified. Movie classics. New episodes. Mark Gable. Hit him hard. Job. And hit him off. That's 36 holes.